The Charlotte is Creative Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Charlotte is Creative Podcast. Today's show features hosts Tim Miner and Matt Olin speaking with Dr. Matt Lyon immediately following the November 9th Creative Morning Charlotte event at Temple Beth L, where Matt spoke about the global theme of restart. Dr. Matt Lyon is a professional chiropractor by trade, but has spent many years studying religion and philosophy. In this episode of the Charlotte is Creative podcast, Matt talks about dealing with meditation, religion, and suicide, what it means to restart and what holds most people back from restarting, and the power of failure to increase happiness. Register for the next Creative Morning Charlotte event Friday, December 7th at 8.30 a.m. at Laka Projects. The featured speaker will be Dr. Stephanie Cooper Luter, speaking about the global theme of tradition. RSVPs will open at 9 a.m. Monday, December 3rd. Don't forget to use the hashtag CharlotteIsCreative and tweet us at CM underscore CLT whenever you see Charlotteans showing their creativity. equipment i don't really understand we're here with that is it is it rolling it's okay so clearly we are without andy go we are helpless individuals wait now you do understand how editing works like andy did include a lead in oh and then he's gonna splice to this oh that's how editing works okay got you well listen we've got we've gotten to the delorean now we've gone back in time because we uh, sort of overstayed our welcome at the last Creative Mornings at, did. at our wonderful host venue, Temple Bethel. They and, were extremely patient, but yes. that patient did have limits. So the, for those of you who listen to the Charlotte's Creative Podcast, we uh, record each uh, episode immediately following that month's Creative Morning. Mm-hmm. So we usually have to, depending on the venue we're in, we have to find a little hole or corner mm-hmm. or some sort of a bunker where we can just set up and... Cozy up. Cozy up and bask in the glow of the speaker's um, talk and, and really just kind of go deeper. Well, we did that with Matt Lyon. We did. But we also had some other folks kind of breathing down our neck because apparently we had, they had double booked a room. And there are some people that were waiting to have a board, a board meeting. Is that kind in, of what we in were? In fairness, we had an amazing conversation that took much longer than we There was a lot to cover. Yeah, you get, I mean, we you were, get in we deep. We were diving into the mysteries of the universe. You get in deep with Matt Lyon, and uh, we we, uh, <laughs> we did that. But we also had folks going, will you hurry it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're almost done. We're just going to cover quantum physics real quick. <laughs> we're, he's almost explained the nature of reality. It's okay. <laughs> All right, so we are now recording the intro, our sort of witty banter. To? To the Charlotte's Creative Podcast. What? And who are you? I'm Matt Olin, your the co-host. Uh, who are I, you? I, w- I guess that would make me Tim Miner, the other co-host. So we've got, we're very glad that you've uh, tuned in, and in a moment we are going to turn it over to our riveting conversation with Dr. Matt Lyon. Um, but before we do that, I want to dive in and thank our incredible sponsors that make uh, our Creative Mornings Fridays possible, as well as this podcast. Yep. Ortho Carolina, Providence Day, Charlotte Star Room. Huga, Creative Circle, Northeastern U, Warehouse 242, ooh, that rhymed, Community Culinary School of Charlotte, and International Minute Press of Pineville. Great now, people. for those of you who were there, perhaps you saw Tim and I regale these incredibly generous sponsors with our own version of Posties, Post Malone's, <laughs> Better Now, which we called Thank You Now. And the, the line I can't stop thinking is, we love you, uh, 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 uh. we love you, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you, uh. Nothing like the false vibrato to really sell it, <laughs> really sell it. One of the other things we announced uh, last week, too, was this exciting uh, initiative that we are doing called the 250 for 250 campaign. Basically, Charlotte as a city is celebrating its 250th anniversary starting this December for a year, and... The way that we are choosing to participate in that celebration is we are giving away 250 hugs. That's our helpful, unfettered gifts, which is – they just happen to be $250. It's, it's 
It's kismet. It is kismet, and so and we're huggers, and we are nature. huggers, right? So keep an eye out for f- sort of sneak crouching tiger hidden hugs happening all over Charlotte. That we're posting on social media, but if you want to give Charlotte a hug as well, please go to two fifty four two fifty dot com or charlotteiscreative.com. You can donate. Each of the micro grants is $250, and we're going to start in December and give them to 250 amazing individuals throughout the year. We cannot think of a better way for us personally to celebrate Charlotte's 250th anniversary than to drop little love bombs of cash on 250 amazing Charlotte creatives, their creative notions, their instincts, their projects, their initiatives. And so join us in that. We are we are committed to to essentially amassing the funds for 250 hugs from you, our fellow citizens, the citizens of Charlotte. So please join us in this campaign and uh, let's make 250 hugs happen in, in 2019. Absolutely. The other thing we need, though, is 250 amazing individuals to apply for those hugs. That's right. So if you have a for-profit or not-for-profit project that needs a little bit of a nudge, just just a little something to, to keep it going um, or to get it going, uh, go to uh, charlotteiscreative.com and apply. That would be awesome. And you know what? One of the hugs that we've given, because we've already given out $12,000 yep. worth of hugs since we started the program, one of them is the You May Have Seen podcast. Brian we LaFontaine. Them, we gave them some money that they used uh, to promote the podcast. Then they turned right back around and gave $500 in hugs back yeah. so that other projects can move forward. And They got a hug and they gave two hugs. Yep. That's amazing. Amazing. It was it was really moving, and we are very proud to join them. You may have seen podcast in the Queen City Podcast Network, mm-hmm. which is a collection of incredible local podcasts, uh, ranging from the Comedy Zone to Yelp to podcast about beer to this Charlotte podcast with our buddies Miller and John. Uh, just a virtual plethora, or this season we would say cornucopia, perhaps, mm. of very stimulating podcast conversation so if you're interested in that uh please go to queencitypodcast.com it's actually queencitypodcastnetwork.com yes you're right i might read the cue card deck that's all right queencitypodcastnetwork.com and uh, check them out we're very we feel very honored to be part of that and despite the gaffe there uh and it might explain why the <laughs> charlotte's creative podcast after a year of recording has Zero stars. We don't have five stars. But we also have, don't have one star. We have no stars, we, which is really bad. We, but we are a part of the Queen City Podcast <laughs> Network, but we still need five-star right. ratings, so don't we? If even for pity's sake, let's hope that, that you love this podcast, but even just to take mercy on these two poor fools and our hardworking producer, please go to, to iTunes or Stitcher. Give us five stars just for the attempt. We would be grateful. And with all of that housekeeping covered, let us now, Tim, get back into the DeLorean with Doc and go back to the future Are we going to the, the past. Future or, the pa- or maybe the alternative timeline where Biff is like the casino owner. Right. And because he had the book, you know, that he bet and he right. was really rich. And, right? and we're not going to Doc Brown. We're going to Doc Lyon now. So, Doc! <laughs> we got to go back to Temple Bethel. Wow. Hey, how do we lead into a great conversation with a terrible Michael J. Fox and uh, Doc Brown impersonation? I can't think of a better way. So let's take it back to the our amazing conversation with Dr. Matt Lyon. Thanks all. So welcome now to the Charlotte is Creative podcast, Dr. Matt Lyon. It's great to be here. Yeah, you were really amazing this morning. We were here at Temple Bethel. We're so grateful to the people of Temple Bethel and Shalom Park at the Jewish Community Center here in Charlotte for hosting us. Um, wow, there were a ton of people here this was, morning. We, uh, our, our presence was felt not only in the room, but in on the traffic the... patterns of Charlotte. <laughs> I heard. We're going to be getting a cease and desist letter from CDOT later on today, I'm yes. sure. Yes, with a little bow on it. Um, so when I approached you to ask about if you would talk, to speak on our theme of restart, you, without hesitation, said, I'm in. Yeah. And, that, and we're going to dive a little deeper into that in a minute. But mm. first, we like to start our podcast off 
with a lightning round. Yeah. yeah. Other podcasts, those other podcasts, they end with a lightning yeah. round. You took us to the heights of like, you know, theoretical <laughs> physics in your talk. Right. We're going to bring it on down to the basis of conversations right yeah. now. So just rapid fire. The first thing that comes, comes into your mind when we ask you these questions. Oh boy. I'm going to get these synopses firing again. Uh, Matt, what is your hometown? Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, all right. Now I actually like this follow up then by the Mr. Unicorn. Uh, so what, what in your mind, what's Charlotte known for? Um, NASCAR and, and barbecue and, um, bathroom issues. <laughs> All of which are Sadly. somewhat related, but Sadly. now, but, but to back up, so I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, mm-hmm. but, but, um, I have like five generations deep in Charlotte. I, I think that, I think that counts. Yeah. I that, think it's deep well, in the DNA. Yeah, and to that point, deep. if you look at my birth certificate, I was not born in Albuquerque. I was born in Oneida, New York, but Charlotte is home because we moved here when I was young. And, and so right. I have nostalgic, more right. nostalgic memories of upstate New York. But when I think of home, yeah. it's Charlotte. That's I, right. I think more and more as we've gotten so transitory, you know, it's, it's, you have, you get to pick, you, you get, get to pick you, where you think your hometown yeah, is. Absolutely. So uh, how long have you lived here? Uh, 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Moved here from Seattle, Washington. And what brought you to Charlotte? <laughs> That's a long story. <laughs> do you want the re- do you want do you want the, the legit story? Lightning round. Lightning yeah. round. L- legit lightning. Legit lightning. Give us which what, is give your, us the, also your wrestling. Give us name. the give it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're mo- we're Hollywood movie producers. You got to give us your elevator pitch on your on the movie of your life, or your move to Charlotte, or both, or both. Because it was it was a move to moment. Charlotte. You know, Die Hard meets. I'm kidding. <laughs> ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> so Los Angeles graduated chiropractic college, uh, moved to Seattle and we just did not resonate with the West coast. We wanted to come back East. Um, and Lynn's, uh, my wife is from Connecticut and, um, we thought, well, nothing North of Washington, DC, Washington, DC is too busy. What Virginia's it's not real. It, they just show it on a map, but it doesn't actually exist. <laughs> and then anything below North Carolina, that was questionable in Florida, you know. So North Carolina was it. <laughs> no words necessary. You know. um, yeah, so we just ended here. And then we came to visit, and there was serendipity after serendipity after serendipity. The, the funny part is, though, is I so resisted Charlotte because I thought it was boring. I thought it was super corporate and very just staid and old and dead. And... Um, Despite that, just the minute we got here, it was the most interesting sequence of synchronicity and serendipity that gave us sign, symbol, and confirmation that this was the place to be. Mm. And that there was work to be done here that was bigger than my personal preference to live in Mallorca, Spain. Which was the choice? Mallorca, Spain, Mallorca. Or, or Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Don't think because, I've never heard those wow. two. Yeah, do you don't you don't hear together. That. Yeah. That's 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 a first and a last. Right there. Was it? We met with somebody. Uh, we had coffee with uh, with uh, a woman last week, and she was in England. She's uh, hails from India, and uh, she met somebody, and um, he was in Atlanta, and they decided to come up with like a, a compromise of where they would live. And the compromise was Charlotte. Like, we were like, wow. I think that he won <laughs> yeah. that one. I'm not sure that that four was hour <laughs> drive versus a transatlantic <laughs> move. It's really. It's really picking up those tent pegs and moving all the way up right. north to He's Charlotte, like, North well, Carolina. Well, it's the Queen City. They went with the Queen, though. Right. There's yes, you know. um, whatever angle he needed to play. Right. Or the new pr- princess. What's her name? Oh, 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 oh uh, come Meghan on. Markle. Lightning round. There it is. This is not my lightning I... round. This is your lightning round. <laughs> I, he just flipped it on us. By the way, I love the pitch. I like Die Hard meets Ben Hur because I'm just like, you're in a chariot race. The chariot goes below 15 miles an hour. You blow up. What do you do? Like that specifically, that I'm would gonna have pitch been that Ben Hur. We'll give you, we'll give you residuals. Speed, that would be Ben Hur. Yeah, but speed is Die Hard on a bus. Oh, right, and this is Die Hard in, in a t- chariot, chariot with leather pants. Early Christian yeah. with with Christian overtones. Exactly, so I'm very old. It's testament, all good. As you all can right. tell. Really important question here: Have you ever watched Doc McStuffins? No, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> That's good. You keep that streak going as long as you can. Okay, who invented the flux capacitor? Which makes time travel. Good possible. Lord. I don't know, but I wish I knew. So I'm going to say Doc. Doc Mick Capacitor. Doc Mick Capacitor. It's actually Dr. Emmett Brown. Yeah, from 
from uh, Back to the Future. From Back to the Future. That's what it is. That's there the might be a theme. With there the, might be a theme the to these questions yeah. that come from here. Yeah. Yeah. So on the theme of Back to the Future, it wasn't Michael J. Fox, but he was present. He was present he was in present. that movie. He yeah. did make a he, cameo was in that Biff. movie. Yes, yes, Biff was there too. Biff. Okay. So all right, now you're, you're you're digging in. So while we're talking about Back to the Future, <laughs> do you know the name of the subdivision where Marty McFly lived? Mm. Good lord! You know, I saw that. Think mo- about there's a theme to these questions. Uh, Doc McStuffins. Marty McFly. Doc McStuffins. Doc. Charlotte. Charlotte. Marty the Queen Mc- City. Marty McFly's family lived in Lion Estates. No, he spelled L Y O N. Wow, man! I didn't even know that. Man, so, my grandmother, my this grandma, is the Liz stuff Lyon that rattles around that. in my brain that pushes yeah. out important things like how to make money on the stock market. I don't know. Has he seen? Doc, have you seen Doc Hollywood? The movie Doc Hollywood? No, no. So this, so this, this is good. No. That doesn't work. Wait, no, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. This says uh, we need you to give us a twenty-second review of the movie Doc Hollywood. If you haven't seen it, it's even better. So give us a twenty-second review of oh, the movie okay. you've never seen, entitled Doc Hollywood. The thing that moved me the most about the movie Doc Hollywood was the archetypal journey that he had to go through. It was the hero's journey. He had to over, he felt a call. He did. He had to face his opponents. He had to overcome both himself and an inner and outer opponent only to rise up, ascend to great heights, to descend back, to be of service to this world and to go back to normalcy. Chop wood, carry water, as they say in the Zen tradition. That is exactly what happened in Doc Hollywood. Speaking as someone who's seen Doc Hollywood more times than I care to admit, that was actually a spot on review of that movie. For real. Yeah, I've never seen it. It is but about you know, a big city doctor that gets stuck in a small southern town and just, and learns that that is his place in the universe. Isn't that interesting? There it is, the hero's journey. But by the way, he initially really hates the town. Really? Yep. And then comes to love it. All right, we'll we, watch that. <laughs> Mark me down for and it. Does have, that on it my does notes. have Michael J. Fox in it, so even better. All right, who's cooler, Dr. Doolittle or Dr. Who? Uh, definitely Dr. Who, because Dr. Doolittle was a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That you have to watch the talk, uh, the creative Matt, Dr. Matt's creative mornings talk from this morning to to catch that inside joke. I love cats. This is a that. note to the I love all society God's of Charlotte. Please do not send uh, kittens to. And Dr. I'm much Matt more of a cat line. than a dog person. I'm aloof, moody, weird, but really fun, genuinely caring. But I need I need balls to play with, yarn balls. So, is there a lion pose in yoga? There's a lion face pose in yoga. Oh, yeah. Tongue out? Yeah. And what are the benefits of that face pose? Are there specific benefits to um, it? You get to do that face. You get to do that face. you want to do that to a lot yeah. of people, but you can't because yeah. it's not culturally sensitive. Yeah. So it's, so this you can do it instead of just going up to people and, and being like. Yeah. Just just do the lion face yeah. in, in yoga class. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Right, that's awesome. All right. So how long has it been since the Detroit Lions won a Super Bowl? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I, I have no idea because um, I, I, I don't watch a lot of football, but I'm going to take a guess. Take a stab at it. Have they won a Super Bowl? They have, but it was it, it was, was a while quite ago. A while I, I bet ago. it was like 1956. Oh my, it was 1957. What? Wow. Wow. Soothsayer. That's good. You. That's quantum entanglement. Wow. I which I want to double click on later. That's anyway. amazing. It's the second longest losing streak in uh oh. in the NFL history. This final question that lightning. He's already round demonstrated his prowess at this. Is, yes. is 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 related to one that you recently did. So here we go. You learn that bootleg DVDs of a Thai Kung Fu movie named Deadly Doctor Lion Roars are being sold on the streets. What is the plot of the of the movie named Deadly Dr. Lion Roars? Well, I was a tourist in Thailand in this movie, and someone inadvertently, um, not to my knowledge, stuck drugs in my bag so mm. that I was arrested in the Thai airport and put into a Thai prison where I was mentored by um, a famous Thai fighter named, oddly enough, Jim. They called him Jim. <laughs> and and he, he taught me to fight and he said, you have what it takes. And then I entered into the arena and I had to fight all these fights. So I rose, but then I had to face off against the, the Thai gang network um, who had taken power from the throne. And in our final fight, right before I destroy my opponent to, to give back the rightful ownership of Thailand from the gangsters to the king, I roar. And that's the name. <laughs> 
That was like you decimate everyone with the, with I, your final roar, and they all just lion disintegrate. You, totally. you figure out how to to, uh, to and then I weaponize said, lion pose. Yeah, and then I said the doc <laughs> the doctor is in. Oh, <laughs> that's your that's your sign off. Sadly, the someone doctor. will probably hear this podcast and be like, "Make that movie." I can sell that movie. Totally, you could sell that movie. That's it's, awesome. di- it's Die Hard meets Speed in a Thai prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Die Hard meets the Raid. Actually, the Raid is Die Hard. Okay, all right. Thus ends. <laughs> Denver. The lightning round of the Charlotte's Creative Podcast yeah, with Dr. Matt Lyon. Questions. Now, again, this podcast is is can be a companion piece to the video mm. of Dr. Matt's um, it's an amazing talk that he gave this morning. So definitely check that out. And this is us just sort of diving a little deeper. For those who weren't there, Dr. Matt Lyon, in addition to being a friend of mine, is a chiropractor. He's an acupuncturist. He's an intuitive life strategist. He's a meditation teacher. You work with amazing leaders in these in this mm-hmm. field, in, mm. in addition to yourself being a leader in this field. Um, super impressive graduate degrees and doctorates and these amazing workshops that you do all over the world. Um, I'm always blown away. I'm sort of like, where are you right now? <laughs> oh, you're teaching on that island. Okay, mm. got it. Can't wait to see the photos. Mm. I'm going to join you, by the way. Yeah. Sarah and I are coming to one of these retreats someday. It's going to be great. I would love that. It's, it's on the, uh, the, the bucket list. So let's start here. A little deeper dive. What brought you to the path of helping people restart? Mm. Well, I, you know, if you watch the video, uh, I shared a more recent trial that I went through. But when, when I was growing up, um, it, it, it was I sort of hinted at this in the talk. I grew up in a really tumultuous home. My father mm. was albeit he was an extremely bright guy, and he was actually a neuroscientist. He, he was really a deeply troubled man. His father was deeply troubled and committed suicide. So there was a lot of just alcoholism and, and, and trauma. And, and so growing up, I, I saw a couple different pathways. And one was the pathway set by you know my literal forefathers, and I didn't want that. I didn't want the trauma and the drama. I, I wanted something more. So something innately was placed inside of me by both my grandmothers, both of whom were from Charlotte. Um, they they were my first quote unquote spiritual teachers. My grandma Ruth was a super amazing woman, feminist, super active in her Presbyterian church. She just talked. She helped me understand what the gospels meant in the real world. And to me, and there was no there was nothing about it that had anything to do with um, necessarily rules. It was all about um, really the teachings of, of love that Jesus gave and, and really the Sermon on the Mount. Now, interestingly, my, my grandma Liz was obsessed with the Sermon on the Mount. And so this was like this major conversation for us. So it planted seeds inside of me that there was another option. And during this time, I lived in Vermont and there was a, a Buddhist a Zen, a traditional Japanese Zen Buddhist. So Buddhism, you know, was born in India and then it sort of migrated through Asia and after it had gone to China, it landed to Japan, and Japan it became Zen. So there was a, a Zen meditation center with a bona fide Zen master mm. a couple towns over from me in rural Vermont where I was growing up. And there was a uh, friend, I had some this woman who went there and a couple other friends, and I, I remember the clarity of their eyes. And I said, I want that. I want that peace. I didn't, I wanted something else. So when I was 16, I began diligently and dutifully and persistently meditating under the tutelage of this Zen teacher while I was still really, really rooted in my faith and in some of the directions of monastic Christian spirituality that we call centering prayer. So once that happened, and because I saw the impact of that so profoundly on my life, you know, my anxiety, depression, um, that I could actually function and finish high school and get into a good college and all these things that were not in the cards for me had I not made some restarts. Mm-hmm. So it just, I became very impassioned about help helping set, I, I don't help set people free, but helping offer um, help and catalysts so that people could really make their own way. And, and that's just been my passion for n- really 28 years. Yeah. 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 Clearly I, that, you know, um, I'm going off, I'm going off script, but Tim's going rogue. Uh, I know <laughs> this is dangerous when this happens. Um, <laughs> But one thing that just struck me from what you said is um, the role that we that another person often needs to play in Absolutely. our restart, and and even something like I think we sometimes get hung up on who who um, you know, introducing people to. Well, I'm I'm really we're going to cut this out because I'm I have an idea, but it's not forming. 
the person that that makes those spiritual texts come alive for us, mm-hmm. not the person necessarily that exposed them to us. That's who makes the impression. Because when you talk that's about right. your your aunt Ruth making those come alive for you, grandma Ruth, grandma Ruth, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I had a good friend. I had spent you know uh, years my whole life in Catholic school. Um, being given the, the the gospels and the Bible and hearing it every Sunday, but it took a good friend opening my eyes and saying, well, "Read it this way." Yeah, and then that was a restart. Yeah, reading those sacred texts a different way with new eyes. Exactly. And, yeah, and it's so important to play that role if you can That's in right. someone's life. And it's a good point. So now it gets my me to my question: when you when you help someone or when you give them the gift of restarting, what does that do for them? What does it give us to to restart? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think I think the thing it does is ultimately it, it gives them agency and authorship. And here's what I mean by that. So I, I talk about this in the talk, but really it, it's it's in the domain of our thoughts and our feelings, which we could say thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body. And together these sort of create what we would call a person's state of being, right? And that state of being drives perceptions, attitudes, and those attitudes will concretize or crystallize into beliefs. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when I teach someone to meditate or when I teach them to simply breathe or when I teach them some concepts about wellness or help their nervous system work better, ultimately what they're gaining is ownership and authority over the domain of their mind. And I love that the word author and authority are the same root. And so in most of the perennial wisdom traditions, I would argue all of them, of which I'm very familiar with Christianity, um, to some degree, Hinduism, very familiar with the Buddhist tradition, all of them have a common theme that the restart has to take place in the mind. You know, I'm thinking of right. uh, St. Paul's letter to Timothy, right, as he's in prison, you know, and he's encouraging that this there's some, been something put inside of you, you know, go out and be of sound mind. Again and again, you know, I think we're called in these traditions to question the validity of our minds, the validity of our thoughts, and what we've learned from neuroscience in recent years is that this um, network of thoughts and feelings literally creates so much of the reality that we perceive. So if you can get someone to hack into that system Same. and to reprogram that system, they can reprogram their life. They can reprogram their stress response. They can reprogram how they react act to things so that they're now responding to things. And in that response ableness, they create real responsibility to take responsibility for their health and their life and to redirect themselves. So I think it's really, really critical that the domain is in the, it's in the mind. And that was, that was the talk. And so much of, I mean, 90% of the most common illnesses in the United States, 90% we can attribute to stress related causes. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to me. And what is stress but a word that we use for a response inside that hurts or is scary or that's painful. And so to be able to like take the steering wheel of that system Mm. is so powerful. And yet we live in a culture that continues to define the solutions outside of us. And you mentioned that so eloquently this morning that, I mean – we, if we could spend more time in our minds, you know, we'd find that truth. We'd, we'd yeah. be able to restart, but we go out of our way, particularly with, you know, everything from cell phones to just spend our time responding to exterior stimuli exactly, rather than turning inward. That's exactly that. right. And, and this is an important point. And if I could riff on this, Absolutely. this is important because when the attention goes externally consistently, we tend to fix our attention and awareness And wherever our attention and awareness goes is where our energy goes. We tend to fix it on these things outside of us. And it makes sense from a biological evolutionary perspective that we would do that in order to survive. Like I should probably be aware if that thing in the sky is a 747 or it's a pterodactyl about to rip me to to pieces. Mm -hmm. So that, that that response to life where we put our attention on the outside in order to survive and to protect ourselves from danger, the problem is, is that becomes the new norm. That becomes the basic default network of how we function in this world, but that attention is constantly going outward. And on the inside of our bodies, we are then living by the hormones of stress. We are living by the chemicals of stress. And here's the trippy, crazy thing. And you might want to like replay this a few times because I had to listen to this for about five years before I got it. 
That system is so redundant that when I feel those feelings of stress or fear or that I'm not enough, it creates a chemical cascade in my body, which then produces thoughts in my mind, which are associated with neural networks and neurotransmitters. Don't, don't freak out because I said neural networks and neurotransmitters. No, I mean, I'm freaking out, but I'm with you. Uh, you're talking to two cats who held a plasticized brain two weeks yeah. ago. So. There you go. And cats. It's funny you brought yeah. cats up. Um, but the thing is, is then we get hardwired into certain ways of thinking. So go back to what I said about beliefs. And then those thoughts produce those feelings and those feelings produce their thoughts. And so the redundancy yeah. of that system hardwires people into being very shrunken versions of what they are born for, which is why I use that metaphor of seed. And I didn't have enough time to really develop this, this concept in the talk, but that we gave you a luxurious 20 minutes to cover multiple fields of science (laughs) and wellness. I don't understand. Yeah. And, 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 you know, (laughs) what's amazing then if how we view things has an impact on those things, if I'm viewing things from that limited state and I'm in a, literal place of stress in my brain the, the what i see as possible is going to be really challenging and then where it's reinforced and reinforced and reinforced and i don't mean to go too rogue here but it keeps being reinforced by a corporate driven political media culture that really would prefer you not have total authority and agency over your thoughts and emotions because if you don't then i can easily tell you what you need to buy in order to feel the things that you think I want to feel because that's what I've told you you should feel or that's what you should Mm -hmm. look like. Sure. And and so then truth becomes this very malleable thing in our culture where facts are really just opinions said with great emphasis from a position of power, which is not power. That's force. Yeah. Oh, listen, everything you're saying is landing over here. I mean, and one of the things I'm kind of present to is that we're about as as a chapter creative morning charlotte is about to celebrate our third birthday next month technically we're actually three years old with this event oh wow Uh, but for some reason three i said something like oh we should celebrate in december everyone's in the spirit you know is spirited and they're celebrating anyway so we'll we'll celebrate our birthday in december but the truth is we're three years old today that's amazing and if you go back three years our very first speaker was a woman named jen band who runs an incredible organization called Playing for Others. And, and she talked on, this, on the topic of work. And her main theme was that in order for us to do our best work um, and, and to put it out into the world, it's actually an inside job. Mm. And, and so th- there's this cool little, we're sort of revisiting this theme from three years ago on a whole nother level. But it's about going inward rather than Doing the default, which is to, to yeah. put the uh, yeah. the, the uh, our attention on everything that's outside that's of exactly outside right. of us. Um, so I just love the way that we're that's, sort of that's circling cool. back there. with these really really important lessons and reminders that it's 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 inside that we need to be well. Working. And this is so good. And if I could just say something about that, you know yeah. that that inward gaze done in a way that we know has scientific merit. So there's a specific way so I can teach somebody to meditate, which then begins to slow that system of their brain down Mm. so that they begin to hack into the thoughts and emotions yes, and create a very different reality inside. And so really that inward journey is, is a very practical, pragmatic, scientific way in which to both be very effective in this world to really be very healthy people. And third, from my vantage point to really bring the deepest meanings of the gospel alive and or the deepest meaning of whatever tradition one comes from alive. Yeah. And just in the West, we we generally tend to focus on the outer and in the East and those traditions, the emphasis is a little bit more on the inner. And I think the beauty of this evolution towards a more inclusive society is is a really nice hybridization of that. Mm. And I mean, if we're talking about recursive themes too, I mean what uh, the word that come back to the word that we said so much today was love and mm. um you know, in order to, it's just another word for empathy. We need to be able uh-huh. to empathize with other people. If we don't have that, that inward gaze, if we spend all of our time blocking out, you know, the time or, or looking outward and not understanding our own feelings, how are we to understand our own emotions enough to That's empathize right. with other people? You, you, know, you know, I love that. When I was writing this talk, I, I had a piece on empathy and then I was riffing off antipathy so the, the lack of empathy, and I was right. and I was looking historically um, at when we've seen genocides. So I mean, I I didn't bring this up for a number of different reasons. One was time, and obviously, you need a lot of context to do this. But but when as a culture, we don't 
have empathy. Um, it, it breeds antipathy. And when we look at historically um, genocides where people are systematically dehumanized over time, where then due to the extreme dearth of empathy or the presence of antipathy, right. horrible things happen. So I think it's so, it's so relevant to our culture now that as a culture en masse, we develop deep empathy. Right. And, and that empathy and love are a great revolutionary act that push back against a system that is not exhibiting that. But but that, that was actually the core values of our of, of this um, country. So I don't want to go too political on well, that, I, but I want to say that the power of empathy is incredibly uh, potent right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, at this point, it's not even about, uh, you know, politics. It's about humanity. It's about humanity. You know, and I, I think as much as that a- antipathy scares me, what I see out in the world and what we, as you can experiencing this morning, we push back so hard against is is apathy. That's it. You know, because so there are true. always going to be people that from a position of power or to at least keep the wolves at bay are going to strike out against another. What scares me too are people that'll stand by and just let it happen and and not not see it well, or yeah. experience it. And evil think, persists when good women and men do nothing. Right? Absolutely. So, Which is yeah. why from day one we've um and we've said, you know, get your uniform dirty. Like if you think Charlotte mm-hmm. is creative, you think there's amazing things, give a hug, encourage, go see, use your phone, do something to keep that ball going, encourage another pre- person, pat them on the back and the love will find its way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you, you called us to that today. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of preacher fine going on, but, but a lot of good preacher fine going across the three of us today, I think. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were in a, we were in a sanctuary. Yeah. Um, we're talking about restarting. This is a theme that shows up in a lot of these texts, as mm. you referenced. And I don't know. I feel like it was just something about the theme, yeah. you as the speaker, and the venue we were in. It, suddenly, it did feel well, a little then, bit like we were we were a little bit uh, we were kind of having a little preaching moment and, there. And, and, and the times probably were, exactly what we needed. And the times we're in. I mean, uh, exactly. you know, I was watching something the other day, and I know this isn't a, in a revolutionary idea, but it was. Um, uh, somebody that was that was working with a man who had some in his mind some deep-seated prejudices Mm. and what broke through for the guy is he in this case he was pressured against uh latinos and he agreed to take part in a in a um uh, a filmed event and they just sat him in a chair and said look into each other's eyes for five minutes wow and Guy, by the three and a half minute mark, he was weeping mm-hmm. and had realized that the person sitting across from him wasn't a statistic or exactly. a demographic or a color. He was another human. That's and it. We just don't slow down to do that. That's it. And that's that was the point I wanted to make today about we don't see others because of our beliefs. You know, it's interesting, too, when we look at some of the most powerful change agents that have really walked the face of humanity. It's fascinating. I was thinking about this a lot and I didn't I didn't explicitly say it, but. You know, Gandhi was deeply rooted in his faith. Now, tech, traditionally, he, he was a Hindu, and he, he carried two books with him all the time, the Bhagavad Gita and the New Testament. Martin Luther King, obviously deeply, deep, deeply rooted in his faith. Thich Nhat Hanh was a Vietnamese Zen priest who was super influential during the civil rights movement. So it's so interesting that so many change agents become rooted in something bigger than themselves and it's not about the religion it's about the relationship it's about this relationship to life that's so much bigger and more unconditional so yeah i do get that there was a little bit of as you guys said preachifying but you know it's interesting how throughout time and throughout history we come together in community in circle and we use wisdom that's been handed down and we try to reframe it so that we can make a greater meaning for life and from that greater meaning we know neuroscientifically when i have a more expansive inclusive meaning for life that means it changes my beliefs and that beliefs then it's going to change behavior and it creates community and it really engenders empathy yeah. and that setting so I, I do get it but it's a powerful medium in which to have a heart-centered conversation i, I think at the end of the day too like um, matt and i have given over um apologizing for anything that happens in that room not that there was anything to apologize for yeah. we asked people to speak their truth yeah you did and i think we both did today oh, and, and sometimes that takes the form of somebody quoting a movie that they like. I mean, that's happened or a poet. And if your faith is something as it is with you and, and, um, I know it is with me, uh, and that that's the form it takes. That's what, that's mm. one of your anchors and that's part of your truth. So mm. there's no, you know, that's uh, great. 
I thought it was a moving morning. It was very and, moving. And at the end of the day, like like you said, the thing that the, that those great leaders had in common was they peeled away the 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 um, the labels we like to put right. on things and the traditions that we build to divide us and define us and get down to real truth. That's right. So if we all agree that so many of us need restarts in our yeah. life, especially people who are up to creative things too, and we had a ton of people mm-hmm. in that room, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone is creative and some people are avocationally creative and some right. people are vocationally right. creative. But what do you think, Matt, holds so many people back from restarting? If they actually need a, a restart, what do you think holds them back from that restart? Absolutely. Well, so let me give you that answer from a couple different perspectives. The first perspective I'd like to share is that it's a perspective of you know how we think the brain operates. So mm-hmm. if we really look at the brain, what it is, I mean, it's basically the chief executive officer of the function of one's body. It is an impeccable record keeper of the past. Mm. And so it, it is a memory-making machine. It is a record of the past. And so this is amazing. I know how to drive a car. I know probably not to go run around in the African savanna with, you know, meat strapped to me when there's lions around. <laughs> Hold on. Let me write that down. No meat strapped. Unless body. you're Lady Gaga yeah. and you're about to give a show. <laughs> she had bodyguards. She did. She did. So the brain is an incredible um, record machine and therefore an incredible prediction machine. But there's something both amazing about that because it allows us to survive and evolve and to some degree progress. But there's a limiting. So we need to include that. But that also needs to be transcended. Mm-hmm. So and, and the transcendence comes from recognizing that all the magic happens in people's lives in the unknown. Mm-hmm. All the magic happens in the unknown. And so the point I wanted to make today is that, you know, these people that we so look up to really, by and large, when I study them, I find a common trait is that the version of reality that they were buying into was not necessarily the one that their five senses told them was true. It was not something that their brain said, okay, yeah, this is legit, this will work, this will work. It was something that, you know, Martin Luther King, I have gone to the mountain I've seen and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. So this this idea that a future version of reality that is yet unseen but is more real to me than ever becomes this compelling energy generation process inside of someone that is so powerful but it it takes so much work every day to restart that because without a doubt the biggest block to the restart is the resistance um did you guys ever read um the legend of bagger vance and the the the, the, i haven't read it there's this great book called the war of art oh yeah um, by stephen pressfield and he talks so beautifully about the resistance that Mm -hmm. we all face and i would laugh at myself when i was writing this talk and getting prepared and I would hear all these voices. No, don't. No. Well, first of all, your talk's going to suck. So don't even start. Okay, well, thanks. That's pretty. I, I've heard that one before. <laughs> you know what? You don't really need to practice. You know, just go ahead and just go to the gym and work out. It'll all come together. Little subtle ways that I was trying to steer away mm-hmm. from being impeccable with my energy on this talk. So the thing is, is that a view of reality that's based on the limited view of our past is just that. It's very limited. But the compelling vision of something greater is so important. And to do that, one really has to change their brain and alter and work from a place we call the frontal cortex and from their hearts. And so it's much more vulnerable. It's much more awkward. Um, it's much more um, gritty and dirty. And it's, 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 you're bound to make mistakes and fall down in it. But it's such a critical part of the restart that we have mm. to continue to dream and live in the unknown. And as one of my mentors, Dr. Joe Dispenza, always tells me, always tells us, the unknown will never let you down. Mm. The unknown will never let you down. When David was fighting Goliath, he didn't he didn't focus on Goliath. I mean, he focused on, I guess it was said he was like nine foot tall. I mean, it's pretty super intimidating. <laughs> and here's, you know, a little guy from the fields who's got three smooth stones and a and a, you know, a medieval slingshot. And they say that he fixed his eyes on the Lord. And I'm not trying to preach. What I translate that into from a neuroscience perspective and a quantum physics perspective is he was his his attention was on the unknown. His attention on was was on something was on something greater. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, and it's funny. Jonathan Fields from the Good Life Project came down last year and spoke with us. And he spoke about the role of mystery in the pursuit of mastery. And this is resonating with what you're saying and from my perspective what i when i see these art forms these creative art forms that you that you work in um the chiropractic arts yeah um acupuncture 
uh, intuition, um, meditation. I see these as supremely creative uh, tools. 100%. And these are ways, I think, that you you as a practitioner are saying to your clients, let's say, um, we're going to break down this this penchant of you to predict the future. We're going to break that down so that you can actually go to a place that is completely mysterious, that is a place that is comp- all about the unknown, yeah. and that's where the real work happens. Yeah. Is that is that I, right? I think that's a good way to say it. You know, I think it's really important to be a master at your craft, whatever that is, right? So I've studied hard and I've worked hard for a long time to be really technically good at what I do. But I'll tell you my secret. It's that whenever I meet someone, I see them as they are, right? So if someone comes in with, let's say, low back pain, I see them as they are, but I always see them better than they are. Mm-hmm. I always mm. see a version of them that exists that I know exists because in the quantum field, there exists infinite probabilities and possibilities. That's just what the quantum physicists tell us, like everything exists there. So there's a possibility that this person could not only be free of pain, but might find out who this pain has been asking them to become. So I totally agree with you that, yes, it's about breaking down this penchant to live in the predictable and to do that, I stay, I, you know, I live in my predictable world of, you know, being a good diagnostician and, a, and an effective doctor, but then learning to see people differently mm. and in that seeing to develop real relationship where, you know, what's so amazing. I think so much of old fashioned doctoring has been lost because the power of relationship and words and encouragement mm. and just seeing people is so healing. Yeah. And so in that moment, when I see someone as they are with compassion and empathy, but better than they are with hopeful expectation, I really truly believe, and I've seen this thousands of times, that it makes an effective change in that person. And of course, I do my work. But yeah, eventually, when we're not in that stress response, we are going to be open-hearted and more open to life. Mm. And therefore, more willing to take a chance on something, whether that's loving our kid, even though we're scared and we don't know if we're good parents, or whether that's writing that blog, or whether it's taking a stab at that canvas, or whether it's like opening up to our wife that we've got pent-up stuff with, or or going out and voting. Like, it, it, it's just, it's this act and art of being able to, you know, be present with the predictable because, you know, we still have to drive back to our neighborhoods and, right. you know, I still have to cook macaroni, cheese, gluten-free, dairy-free, mm. um, vegan, and feed it to cats. Um, <laughs> but, but Tender that, vittles. that yes. amazing capacity to live in the unknown where I'm just more aware of what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what other people are thinking and feeling. And then, so for me, intuition is nothing woo-woo or metaphysical. It's just this simple act of life where I'm so open to so many possibilities yeah. in every moment mm-hmm. and I get to play. Yeah. And that's why I said today that we're astral artists because literally we're made of stardust. I mean, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, our body parts, seventy, I think 70 or 80% of our body parts the, the, the raw materials for those things are 13 billion years old. We're the stardust. other percentage is Bojangles. Just exactly. For, that's for me. Or P.F. Chang's in my case. Yes, 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 exactly. And, and so that, 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 that the mystical origins of us, I think, would guide us to live in the mystery, as your friend said. Yeah. Um, we are way up, off script. I think one thing, but that's good. Like, yeah, as you said, so. As you said in your talk today, that means we're doing something right. Right. So I... What I heard in in what we're talking about, too, is that need, you know, when we restart, that means maybe we made a misstep and that freedom of or or we went in a direction we want to change. Yeah. And I was sitting in a um, Matt and I were part of a design sc- uh, sprint this week and talking about celebrating failure, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it, the other side of restart, the need for restart. Right. And it's just something as we see other people around us to keep in mind is we had two um a woman and uh, yeah, two women of color in our in our group that said, um, you know, we don't have the freedom to restart as much as mm. as you do. Mm. The, the the impact of failure is much greater. The inequity of failure. The inequity yeah. of yeah. failure. And 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 moving forward and and being heart centered and doing work in Charlotte, I think we all need to be mindful of that. That as you've said, that 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 ability to restart is so empowering and so necessary mm. and so needed. And that is something that we need to extend and make sure that everybody yeah. has the ability to do that, that, that I don't have just that one step up to the plate to take a swing at. Totally. It. You know, that, this thought has been really fresh on this, this, I've had a lot of feelings about this very subject and, and it's, it's admittedly a very vulnerable place for me. I really want to engage that conversation in a deep, honest, it's a open, tough one. loving and meaningful way. 
And one of the driving passions I have is, as you may heard today, it's, it's equality, you know, across all of us. And so how do we take these principles and, and, and yet there's this uniqueness in how those principles um, come alive in different cultures, whatever those are. I'm really, I'm really fascinated by that. And I, and I want that because I love humanity so much. And I'm sad about it. You know, that's the truth is I'm, I'm sad about where we're at. But yet this is the most amazing time because now we're having the real conversation. Someone can actually say that. Right. You know, and when, when we can hear that and we can observe it in a different way, I believe something, the mystery can begin to unfold that. You know, what's really interesting is Tal Ben-Shahar, a Harvard professor, wrote Mm -hmm. this really cool book, and I think it's called Fail Forward. Um, He taught the happiness class at Harvard, which was the most popular class at Mm -hmm. Harvard, and Mm -hmm. there is impeccable statistical scientific evidence that failure is really good for you, that people who fail more often are statistically more happy and then more successful in whatever that... Um, metric is by which we define success for that person. So I, I think that's that that's that that is really good research. If, if, it's a, if that's a gift we can give people, you know, yeah. I, I it, it reminds me of a story of my my 13 year old daughter came home and there's a young lady in her class and I think they ran for like a class, uh, you know, somebody was going to be class president or secretary or something, and uh, my daughter ran for it, didn't get it, and the other girl said to her, you know, well in my family we don't fail. Mm. And my daughter turned over and said, "Well, miners fail all the time." Nice. <laughs> and uh, I was like, "That's my girl right there." <laughs> That's right. You know? That's right. Well, you just spoke about being vulnerable, and you had an incredibly vulnerable moment in your talk today, mm-hmm. where Definitely. you you spoke about, um, you know, a few years ago mm-hmm. when you were contemplating ending your life. Yeah. Um. So, I want to talk touch on that again mm. for a moment. Yeah, please. Um, first of all, can you, are you able to say who saved your life? Is that something that you can say or was this, uh, is this a team of people that saved your life or is it you that saved your life? Yes. It's such a good question. Well, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants and ultimately I think it was the intervening power of grace, but you know, there's this great poem by Mary Oliver called the journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wish I had it memorized. I only have the last part. Um, I can paraphrase it. But she says, you know, you you go through your life and eventually you're going to have to break from all the bad advice and you'll make your way through even though everything is falling apart around you Mm -hmm. and you'll learn that you can save the only life you ever could save your own. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you know, I think it's ultimately while there's to me from my tradition and just my profound experiences, there's always the presence of grace around. There had to be a decision and a decision means to cut away all other options. Literally, if we look at the meaning of the word decision, it means we're going to cut away all other options. So a decision was made on my half that I wanted the unpredictable unknown more than my predictable path, even though I knew I was going to have to go through some major stuff to do that. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I literally reached out to a friend. Now, when I mentioned friend in my talk, I meant two things. <laughs> there was a double entendre in that. I, I prayed for help, and then I also reached out to um, a really dear friend of mine, and and then I got the help that I needed. Yeah, and that help was was super important because depression and anxiety, and the tendency. See, in my in my I know in my brain it was hardwired in that that would be that that could be an option, and we know statistically that kids who grow up around suicide are more likely to either think about suicide or have suicidal ideation or to actually commit suicide. So I just knew I was going to need some help. So I just worked with a really great therapist in New York City yeah. who was just amazing. Yeah. And in my case, I was super fortunate because um, I got through that without the intervention of um, psychotropic medication, although both my wife, who's a psychotherapist and myself, often advocate for that for people. But it, it, it was a team of people. So And then I, I, I worked with a spiritual director. I worked with a therapist. I worked with a physical trainer. I was yeah. like, you know. You had all hands on deck. For I this did. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, that's, uh, you know, and I'm very privileged and fortunate to have that. The thing that was the most important thing in that process, though, and this is what I was trying to impart, is, you know, that you, you can't rush the process. And for me, the <laughs> you more you talked about the the, the, yeah. the caterpillar and the in you know in the chrysalis saying, yeah. uh, you know, I've been at this for a little while now. And totally, <laughs> you know, because my default mode network said, well, you know, I should be done this in two weeks, right? Right. But there was a wisdom to going through a dark night of the soul that lasted for two and a half years, mm-hmm. because everything that I had believed about myself up to that point was systematically taken away. 
But what emerged was a much more humble, loving, honest, kind, genuine person who could really sit and be real and also have a heart that's big enough to hold the world, even though this world is is really hard sometimes, mm-hmm. and to parent my kids in a way that I was never parented by, had I not gone through that. So, you know, I say that with ease now. In the midst of it, there was some text messages sent to people like, how the hell do you do this? I, I don't know how to get through this. Yeah. And you picked up the phone and talked to people. And you rightly said that in, 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 this morning, you, you you looked at that room of 500 charlatans and you said there is 100% chance that there are people in this room that have considered this themselves. Absolutely. Maybe they're currently considering it. It's usually five to six out of 100 that are thinking about it in any given time. And so your act of opening up and being vulnerable in that way I th- it must be an, a crucial act for someone in that position to hear that. Definitely. To, to, so that that person feels unalone. How, how do people, is there a typical reaction that you get from our fellow humans when you share this part of your past? Yeah, they don't, they don't believe it. I mean, I think there's, there's a couple reactions. One is, oh my God, I never knew. How is that possible? You seem to have it all together. I think sometimes people are disappointed because whenever you're a leader or a teacher, you know, there's a tendency to pedestalize. I don't even know if that's a word. And so then people get kind of, can be disappointed or angry. Cause it's like, hey, wait, you know, you were supposed to be perfect. Well, actually, no, I'm, I'm not. And <laughs> neither are you. And I think that's the challenge. You know, it's so tough though, mm-hmm. is that we live in such a world where people are constantly playing, I'm gonna use sports metaphors. People are playing a game that they'll never be able to win with regards to life and authenticity and vulnerability because we're constantly looking at the parade of trophies that everyone is posting up on social media. So it's really, really hard to be vulnerable. And then people's beliefs get all screwed up about, okay, it's not that I want to normalize suicidality. I don't ever want that to be normal. As I said, I I want that to be... I want to extricate as much as we can to help people extricate that from their experience, but it happens. And so the world as it's set up is not really good at helping people be vulnerable. So I think platforms like this are really important because then we get that amazing gift of me too. Yeah. Oh God, I'm not alone. Okay. Well, if he can do it and he looks kind of normal, I guess I probably don't look too normal, but you know what I mean? Yep. I mean, that's back to that empathy that we talked about too. Which is healing for me. Right. Because the very direction of my own dysfunction was my fear that if I really told you who I was, I wouldn't be liked and I wouldn't be loved. That Mm -hmm. was the driving Mm -hmm. mechanics Mm -hmm. behind my breakdown. And so the healing for me is the flip side of that, which is to be holy truth. And I don't mean truth from on high. I mean like, hey, this is the truth for me. And this is how I use this stuff to take my broken pieces and put back together a mosaic. I didn't know that I was going to say that that was good. Boom. Well, thankfully, we have it recorded. There we go. It's in there. I, you know, this is presumptive of me, but uh, I, you know, on behalf of your kids, I would say thank you for, you know, thank you for breaking the cycle. Mm, you know, definitely. I, I my uh, my grandfather wasn't um, physically abusive to my dad, but you know, he was not the most emotionally available of people, mm. and my dad could have easily done that and mm. he went he deliberately went the other way yes and in that case oh that was yeah a he's quiet, a big he's a he's a big fluffy bear a giant a, teddy bear you know of let's you know well matt's parents are here today supporting him my parents so were true. here today <laughs> yeah and and so that's a gift we're not locked into these mm. into these roles that we think that we're cast in yeah. even even if we get a diagnosis we don't like exactly not locked into that role and but and so that's a gift you gave yourself and then extended to your kids. Mm. And it's just so amazing. Uh, and that's definitely as we look around the world, you started this by saying it's it's challenging to get out of bed and be somebody who thinks that you can be that change in the world, given yeah. how um, strong the opposition can seem. Absolutely, but, but you can. Yeah, you can we can all break that cycle? Right. So this we could keep this going for a long time. This is <laughs> yes, a great we could. Conversation. Yeah. Um, but we always end with the same question mm. to our speakers. Um, so, Ed, so you can take as long as you like. Uh, but what <laughs> what advice do you have for Charlotte? Uh-huh. Oh my God! You know, it's right fi- now. I, I, as soon as you uh, asked that question, I, I just felt my heart surge and and I felt teary. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It, the what I'm about to say can get lost in the appearance of its triteness, but I I believe this to be true. 
that my advice for Charlotte, and I mean, any, anywhere and anybody, is, is, to do, is to do the hard work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to extend that out, but step, step one is to, to do the hard work on our internal environment so that we root out the bias, so that we root out the beliefs, and we know that we're all human and we all have them. And two is to every day make real effort and do things that create connections with people. There was a really majestic book written by another one of my mentors, Carolyn Mice, and it's called Invisible Acts of Power. And in this book, she describes story after story of these anonymous, simple acts of power that were done during the day, such as opening the door for people, saying a kind word, and that people who were on the verge of suicide, their life was turned around. People who were in trouble, they'd gotten a bad report from the doctor. Somebody just came up and said the right thing. There, there, there are invisible acts of power that we can do with the disenfranchised, with the hungry, with the poor. There are so many things that we can do on a grassroots level to start building the human connection that's even greater than the human connection. And there's one thing that I wanted to say. You guys are going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe he's going to say this is not the right time. We're trying to close this out. But there is a, there is a teaching in quantum physics called quantum entanglement. Yep. So when, you, you, when the three of us were seemingly independently of each other forming these thoughts, when in truth from a quantum reality, there's only interdependence, there was an entanglement because our direction was in the same place. So we were entangled in a frequency oscillating and trained rhythm that created something of a higher organization that we could have done individually. I know that was a mouthful, but we are entangled. The threads of our hearts are entangled. And when we honor that and we act like that's true, like the gentleman you pointed out, that when he stared into the eyes, he didn't see a brown person. He didn't see a white person. He didn't see a Trump voter. He didn't, he saw, he saw life. He saw the soul. He didn't see the role. And that power of seeing and then acting like it. And then there's the hard work. You know, then the hard work of how do we have difficult conversations where we disagree? Can we love anyway? Can we elevate our conversations where empathy is the common denominator, that the heart is the common denominator, and, and rise? I mean, I think that's really it. You know, and also, I mean, this city, too, it's developing so quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's this newness and it's this constant, it seems like this constant mad rush to monetize and materialize things. And with all due respect, Charlotte, our culture has been based on banking and financing and achievement and accolades and material forms of success. And I really would like us to shift our attention to the things that really matter more of the time. Mm. We are a segregated city. It breaks my heart. I'm so fortunate I go to a church that's, I don't know if it's predominantly black, African-American, but when I look around, there's black, there's brown, there's white, there's Indian, there's Caribbean, there's people from everywhere. And when I walk in that place, the, one of the best things I love about it is it just drops. Which church are you, do, you go, do you attend? I go to Elevation Church. Elevation, yeah. Um, in fact, one of the senior pastors came to support me today. And, uh, you know, I, I just... My, my desire is, is that we shift the focus, right? Because how we look at things can change the things we look at. If we could just shift our focus to taking this incredible wealth that this city has and really equitably distributing it. And I'm not making an argument for socialism here. I'm making an argument for a conscious capitalism that's about the heart. And the last thing I'd say is we have such a beautiful green city. Trees are the symbol of life. We take in new life and then we breathe out what we don't need. If we could put more, just continue to make this a green city, green buildings, yeah. where everyone is included and people feel safe to be here. Gay, gay, straight, black, white, brown, and it's a welcoming city. No walls. Yeah. That's my advice. Well, this has been an honor to actually to get to know you. You've been a friend for a while now, but I've got to joke around mostly. I know, right? <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I feel like I got to know you on such a deeper level. Yeah level or another plane today. Right. Normally when Matt and I are hanging out, it's just like, we're usually talking like this. How you doing? How you doing? All hey, right. You doing? Hey, thanks for coming here and doing the thing hey, with the guy. Forget about it. You know, it's a podcast. Hey, boom. Yeah, you do the, we did the talk. Then we came and did the hey, podcast. I just dropped the mic, huh? Yeah, boom. Boom. Just dropped the mic. So, you know, we'll get together next time. We'll have a bite. Yeah. 
Maybe a little drink of poo. Bada bing, bada boom. We'll talk about quantum physics. Right. How about the end love? That's right. Thank you for being a part yeah. of of this event this morning, uh, for lifting up our community yeah. and for exploring this theme of restart with us. We all need it. We yep. needed to hear a lot of these um, just truth bombs that he brought to us today. Great. So Thank you. thanks for sharing yeah. yourself. So grateful with us. to be here. Thank you guys. Yeah, and in wrapping up, I think in the spirit of it, um, you know, you don't have to have a podcast to have to do a deep dive with someone. We mm, all have people in our so lives, true. just like here, that we think we quote know unquote. So take a moment and over the next few days and have a real conversation look into somebody's eyes someone you think you know um and really get to know them and, and see what they need mm. bada boom <laughs> thank you andy go <laughs> yeah it is andy time, go guys. signing us out go. <laughs> time to andy go thanks matt Thanks again to Dr. Matt Lyon for speaking with us and thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Let us know what you think by tweeting us at CM underscore CLT and using the hashtag Charlotte is Creative. Register for the next Creative Morning Charlotte event Friday, December 7th at 8.30 a.m. at Laka Projects. The featured speaker will be Dr. Stephanie Cooper-Luder, speaking about the global theme of tradition. RSVPs will open at 9 a.m. Monday, December 3rd. For more from Charlotte is Creative, check out charlotteiscreative.com. The Charlotte is Creative podcast is hosted by Tim Miner and Matt Olin and produced by Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings. Harvey Cummings.